the economy is crumbling. They say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling. Revolution's on the way. But I could never be a Marxist. It goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You see, come up to Paul Newell. He went with Danny Baker. See you silly disco songs and reading Melody Baker. I'm seeing that a dunker. Welcome to Radical, a podcast about the radical aspects of politics, music and football. I'm your host, Kas Mudde. We have a premiere today as I'm interviewing two guests at the same time, Carlos Vinas and Nacho Parra. Carlos is a researcher in the Department of History of the University of Barcelona, who has published extensively on the far right, including skinheads and ultras, mostly in Catalan and Spanish, though. Nacho is a labor lawyer and cooperative partner at Colectio Ronda. Together, they wrote the excellent new book, San Pauli, Another Football is Possible, which just came out with Pluto Press and will be the topic of our conversation today. Welcome to the podcast, Carles and Nacho. Thank you so thank, much. Thank you. So let's start with my standard introductory questions. First, what was the first sports team you ever supported? Well, in fact, we are from Barcelona. First, we started supporting Barca since we were children. I think there is kind of a, a link or a connection in history, you know, between football team and the history of Catalonia. So there is kind of a background, a political background in Barca. And obviously, we support San Paulo as well. Now, what is your favorite political song? It's Figli de la César Rabia, the Banda Basotti, an Italian band. Okay, Nacho. This is quite difficult. I, I mean, I, I've been thinking about it, and I really can create a, a song, but, but I decided to say some of Victor Jara connected with the Chile revolution. Right. And finally, what's your favorite political book? It's Autobiography of Malcolm X. Awesome. Nacho? The Capital of Karl Marx, and probably the history of the 20th century, written by Eric Hobsbawm. Some Marxist light reading, I see. So let's talk about San Pauli. Tell us a little bit about the history of the club. Was it founded as a working class club? What role did it play during Nazi Germany? Well, it's very different. Uh, the club at the beginnings uh, is not a working class club. It's a club of the elite, of the Burgoyne's uh, people of Hamburg. It's a club linked with uh, nationalism, uh, with the militarism, and very conservative. And now, obviously, it's very different. But the beginnings, it's not a club of working class. During the Third Reich, the club made the same things of the rest of the teams of Germany. It's not different. In the same way, San Pauli made the same rules of the Nazi regime mm -hmm. uh, with the racial laws, too. Uh, but the only different thing is that the Jewish people can go to the club, like the Lang brothers, Otto and Paul, are the founders of the rugby section of the club. For the rest, San Pauli in the third right is the same like the other teams in Germany. Right, and when I was starting to read the book, I was actually thinking that I've been watching Bundesliga pretty much since the early 70s. And I watched first Bundesliga, second Bundesliga, I thought I knew all the clubs and kind of what they stand for. But pretty much up until the 1990s, I had never heard of San Pauli as kind of the pirate club with the left-wing fans. And your book explains why, because that is a relatively recent phenomenon. When did it start and why? We have to, to consider that in 90s, in 80s, 
they converge some of them political or social movements in Hamburg. We are talking about squatters, mm-hmm. we are talking about libertarian movement, and we are talking about green parties or green movements. This is the situation in Sao Paulo. I mean, this is the situation in the district in the area. And people, participants of these social movements, they like football. They also like football. I mean, they are militants, but they are also interested in football. And some of them were fans of Hamburg, of HP Hamburg. Hamburg as well. Yes. In fact, they went to the stadium. They, they went to the terraces. And at that time, there emerged some right-wing movements. And one of the places where they emerged are in the stadiums. So there were some clashes between that militants and with uh, against these Red Wings uh, people. So it made that those people went over, they stopped to go to Hamburger Stadium, Volpac Stadium, and they decided to go to San Pauli Stadium. At that time, I mean, San Pauli was in the second division. It's not well known, but they found there some space to share beers, some space to rest in order to pass with the colleagues, uh, with friends on Saturdays and Sundays. At that moment, we can say that they politicized the terrace. They went to, to the stadiums with their background. So they yeah. went to the stadiums with the school and the crossbones. They went to the stadium showing a political attitude. Right. And in the early 90s, there were a festival in San Pauli, Viva San Pauli Festival. And we think that this is very important to the history of San Pauli because that moment, San Pauli was only a phenomenon that took place in that district. I mean, there was not spread all over the Bundesliga. They were not spread all over Germany. But in that festival, fans asked the club to make that festival in the stadium. The club finally accepted it and it was a completely success. From that moment, people from uh, all over Germany, people from abroad, people from Europe went to that festival. And at that moment, they realized that Sao Paulo was a club. Sao Paulo was something special because obviously uh, at that moment it was because of the fans. And the club is kind of working at the same line that moment with fans. So I think that we can put that moment as the moment that emerged this situation or that starting to emerge what right now we know as a San Paulo phenomenon. Yeah. It's a broader radicalization at that point in time where you have increasing presence of far-right fans at Haasfell and you have this Hafenstrasse squatter environment, which not necessarily seeks out St. Pauli, but is in part driven there because of the intolerance on the stances at Haasfell. Later, though, Hasfau doesn't really develop into a club which is associated with the far right, in part because it is a much bigger club, I guess. St. Pauli really becomes known and seems to adopt this radical left, this kind of rebel image. Was that enthusiastically or was that reluctantly? I think that it was reluctantly. At that moment, people who are managing the club didn't want that image. The example of Sao Paulo is how people, how fans can change the club itself. So obviously, at the first time, the board, the club was mm-hmm. absolutely reluctantly by this kind of change. I mean, that 
reluctantly to put this radicalization to define as an anti-fascist club, a club that is fighting against fascism or fighting against any form of, or any kind of discrimination. But later on, during the past of time, I think that came any change. I mean, right now, obviously right now, it's very different from early 90s. I mean, right now, the club, the people who are managing are more convinced people. They know which is the difference between Sao Paulo and the rest of the clubs, which is the, the, the main case of Sao Paulo, which is that characteristics from the club that makes something different than um, any, other, any other club. But at the first time, obviously, there was some barrier from the managing people to change the club and to adopt what fans are demanding. I actually had to check. I had to look this up. But I'm an avid ground hopper, and I visited St. Pauli at the Millentor Stadion in 2008. And it was uh, very much chosen because it, I wanted it to be my 300th different club that I was going to visit. And I must say I was quite disappointed because I thought the stadium was great. I thought the fans were fine, but I was really put off by the merchandising. The fan shop was relatively small, but incredibly well stacked. So I remember them selling Che Guevara and Jolly Roger t-shirts for about 30 euro or so. And I was wondering, is this all just branding or is there more to it? It's not all about branding, but I think that branding is also an important part. I tried to explain. I mean, one of the biggest fights inside the club is that question. Sao Paulo is a professional club, so that means that they are in federation, they are playing the second division, they are trying to promote, so all of that stuff needs incomes in order to, for example, buy some players, good players trying to promote to the first division, to Bundesliga. So we can't forget that San Paulo and all of us are in a specific social system. We are all living in capitalism, so we have to accept any directions. So this is a classical fight, and right now this is one of the clashes between fans. I mean, people who are thinking that San Paulo is on a certain risk of becoming just a branding, of becoming just kind of an advertising, and people who notice that they have to keep the values of the club, but they cannot forget to be kind of professional in order to promote, in order to win, in order to get to the first division. So uh, I think that it's not all about branding, but right now I think branding, it's probably necessary to keep some of professional manners or some professional life for the club. There's just two wheels, the fans. One part of the fans is, promote the club to the first Bundesliga and take the money for good players. And another part of the fan base of the club is, uh, no, uh, the most important in San Paulo is preserve the values. Okay? Right. And in this controversial, the K figure, it's the president of the club now. It's Oke Godic. Oke Godic is a, it's a guy that come from the terraces, from the South Curve, and is a person that understands the two parts of this fan base. Mm-hmm. And it's people that make the regulator for maintaining peace in the, in the club. Right. There is an important part. I mean, nobody is trying to forget the values. 
the whole stadium support these values. The whole stadium thinks that San Pauli has to promote these kind of values. I think that this is kind of a accepted direction for all our fans. Right. I was talking to Gabriel Kuhn about it because it's a much broader struggle. It's not just San Pauli with particular radical left values or anti-fashions and whatever it is. There are a lot of clubs, these new fan-owned clubs or fan-run clubs, what's sometimes called punk football, which break off big teams or which start their own teams to have that old-fashioned democratic football atmosphere. And then they get more successful and you get that tension, right? You get part of the fans who want more success, even though that will come with less democracy and less specific values. And you have another part that says, no, I'd rather be in a lower division, but be the club that we are, than be in the top division and just be one of the clubs. And I think this is the tension that Gabriel and I talked about. And I was thinking about the subtitle of the book. Like the subtitle of the book is Another Football is Possible. Is it is it possible at the highest level? What does that other football look like? And how will it resist these very inherent pressures of capitalism in football, in the way football is organized? Actually, it's uh, more difficult with the modern football, the extreme commercialization. It's more difficult to have uh, clubs with these values in the highest divisions because it's incompatible. Maintain your values with the high level of competition. It's very difficult. Yeah, as we were talking, I think that you are in a competition. And in that kind of competition, the main structures of football, they are promoting not the social character, but their business character. Probably makes impossible to keep social values, trying to keep any connections probably with people or trying to be competitive. I mean, for example, yesterday they were talking about the Superliga creation. I mean, a, a European Superliga creation. How can you be competitive? How can you be a part of that competition in order to be a part of a competition where we were talking about clubs with support from state, for example, from Qatar, Emirates, and with clubs that have to get more and more earnings, more and more incomes in order to buy professional players that can make you a competitive team. So in capitalism, certainly is very difficult. Another solution can be create or making other competitions or different competitions, anti-capitalist or competitions oriented in other ideas. An alternative Champions League, for example. Yeah. No, I struggle with that. I'm not even sure whether it's always a a matter of, let's say, left-wing politics or just about identity. I have always supported Pace Eindhoven, which ironically, of course, is the club of a multinational, like it was founded by Philip, and for its workers. At the same time, when I supported it, it was the club of the city of Eindhoven and to a certain extent, the province of Brabant. And later it became much bigger. And now it tries to be one of the big teams, like together with Ajax, it tries to be in this European league. And I think structurally, most clubs don't have the basis for that. And so if they try to compete at that level, not only do they lose their identity, be that a regional or local one, or be that a left-wing political one, they give that up without succeeding. It's the same with the Premier League and the teams that try to get into the Premier League. Almost all of them drop out directly again. 
And several of them go bankrupt because they've invested so much in getting there. And at the same time, they've changed so much as a club that you lose everything. And I think this is, to a certain extent, that danger, right? I mean, why do you need to be in the first Bundesliga? If you have a clear identity and you have a solid basis for the second Bundesliga. But of course, sports is about competition and you want to always be the best. But you can see how football over the last decade or so, there have been so many more bankruptcies of football clubs, which is in part related to this gap. But I wanted to look a little bit how St. Pauli is changing So this movement, as you said, came pretty much in the 1990s, where the people from the infamous Hafenstrasse, which was the large squatter street and community in Hamburg, moved to the terraces. But today, the Hafenstrasse and the people who were there are increasingly parents, are increasingly people who have integrated into society. And the whole area of St. Pauli is increasingly gentrified. Does this also have consequences for the relationship between FC St. Pauli and the district of St. Pauli, as well as this specific group of fans? Could be, could be. But St. Pauli right now is defined by what they call the Etlinen. The Etlinen is kind of main direction or main line that defines the club itself. And right now, the first, the Etlinen, is the connection between the club, St. Pauli, and the district. So the club itself wants to keep that link. Obviously, the district has changed over the last years. It's a gentrified area, but the club wants to keep this connection. I mean, this is kind of identity. You have talking for about the identity of the club. It's not only about left-wing ideas. Is that San Pauli is a part of the district as any other organizations. I mean, for example, church or organizations that are taking care of children or organizations that are working with people, with immigrants. So San Paulo is defined as an organization in this district. So I think that right now they are trying to keep this close relationship. There is a good example that the club asked for the neighborhood to put in their balconies any plants to get the bees coming back. Come back. And they succeed. And connection with the branding, for example, the club decides to make honey that are commercialized by the club itself with the image of Edward Linen. That was a great success. I remember in the one interviews with the people for the book, one of the fans explained that in the 80s, the punks make this festival Viva San Pauli and make a lot of benefits. And a part of them go for buy a ban for the church. Right. And this is before I get too skeptical about all of the initiative and of Zang Pauli. Zang Pauli is very involved in actual initiatives, right, that help marginalized people. Can you say a little bit about the political outreach of Zang Pauli? One of the different things of San Pauli is this. People created in a lot of social initiatives, like help to the refugees come to Germany, for example, with the players of the club go to visit these people. With the fan club, compiled a lot of things for these people. And also with the club, pay money for help an ex-player to promote the Viva Con Agua. Viva Con Agua is an initiative to take water to South America. And San Pauli is collaborate with all of these initiatives. It's a social club. It's a different club. For these things, San Pauli is different. 
Right. And so in recent years, we have seen a lot of clubs that have attracted kind of a hipster support and have embraced that in part as branding. And of course, in Germany, one of the best examples is Union Berlin. In England, you have Clapton FC. But are there other clubs in Germany or around the world that are more like St. Pauli, that are really known and they're openly embraced their left-wing politics and are involved in these type of initiatives, political initiatives in their community? European football are a lot of fan groups linked the left politics and with alternative social movements. The Green Brigade in Glasgow, Borno Ultras, and ICA in Athens. But the best difference is these initiatives are only of the group of fans. Right. And in Sao Paulo, it's different. It's the club war that assumed these initiatives. When we presented the book in here, the habitual question is, uh, Rayo Vallecano is Sao Paulo in Spain? And we say, no, uh, Raya Bacano are a left-wing fan base, okay, Bucaneros, uh, etc., uh, Peñas, but the club administrators, uh, the club board, is not assume the values of these people. Right. In San Pauli, yes, it's different. Probably the, the main difference is that, I mean, they are not a company. Premier League, more of the clubs are companies here in Spain, except four teams. The whole teams are companies. So this is the main difference. We think that probably the closest examples are those democratic clubs like United of Manchester, like Wimbledon. And of course, these are all relatively new and not really tested by success, right? I mean, the question is, as I said before, these clubs have started out as generally fan-owned projects. And one of the things that you see in this book, Punk Football, for example, is that the higher they go up, the more compromises are made and the big sponsor comes in and that sponsor gets more power. And at a certain point in time, they get to that tension. Are we going to stay us and say no to the sponsors? Or are we going to bring in the sponsor, have a chance to get promotion, but give a lot of power away? Now, St. Pauli is what the Germans call a cult club, cult club. And they have support, not just through Germany, but pretty much across Europe, at least. How broad is the support for St. Pauli? Where do you find St. Pauli fan clubs? St. Pauli now is a world phenomenon. Pauli have support around the world with more of 500 fan clubs around the world. I think that uh, one of the reasons for the people follow club outside her country is the modern football the model of the extreme commercialization of football that uh, a lot of uh, supporters are um, orphaned of the, the club is mine. It belongs to me. With the modern football, this is uh, no way. And the people search for a club that have these values. And this is St. Pauli. St. Pauli also features heavily in some other culture, like particularly in music. Do you have a favorite St. Pauli song? like a song that is about St. Pauli? Uh, my favorite is Das Here is Fußball. It's a song of a folk singer, uh, Tis Hulman, that played in direct life in the three years ago in my last match in Hamburg. The last match also of uh, the old captain of the club is Fabian Ball. And Tis Hulman go to the stadium for playing live this song for all the stadium. It's uh, amazing. <laughs> I really like San Pauli, which is the song of Le Fly. 
which was one of the most important songs when San Pauli promoted and moved up to Bundesliga. Right. I remember that there's an online radio station called something with FC St. Pauli. Is it St. Pauli Rock or something? Which has awesome music, mostly punk and ska. So let's get to the end of this. What is the most important misperception about FC St. Pauli? I think that the mythification of the club. This is a controversial view. When we write the book, we don't want to contribute to, to create the beat of San Pauli. San Pauli is a club that plays modern football. It's a club with a lot of benefits. I think in the last seasons, more than 30 million in merchandising only. It's a bigger business too. But the club have values that for us is more important than these other things. For example, we want to focus on that idea. San Paulo is not ideal. San Paulo has lots of mistakes. I mean, for example, in San Paulo was a big struggle years ago with women football. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't promote women football, but not only didn't promote women football, the people who were managing that moment, they tried to put barriers to women trying to play football. We don't want to create that ideal image of club, but probably San Pauli is the only way. San Pauli is the, how can we say that? The Einzige Mogelskite in German. Yeah. It's the only way. <laughs> with his contradictions, with all these problems, San Pauli is the only way for the football now. I don't know how to say that. It's the less unperfected yeah. football club. Yeah. yeah, the least bad option. I mean, in a sense, Zang Pauli is more capitalism with values than anti-capitalism. It's not an alternative, but it tries to do as much as it can while still working largely within the system. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Carlos and Nacho. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. So both guests are on Twitter. Carlos is very active at, at Carlos Vinyas. And Nacho's a bit more modest at, at Nacho underscore para. And as I said, Carlos and Nacho are the authors of the book Zang Pauli, Another Football is Possible, which is now out with Pluto Press and is a must read for anyone interested in the interplay between radical politics and football. Thank you for listening to Radical. The music is from the Gonads with the classic song Karl Marx supported Millwall. I want to thank Jack Fernandez for helping me with the editing, and I'm your host, Kas Mudde. If you liked the episode, please subscribe to Radical on your podcast platform of choice, and don't forget to rate us. Till the next time. The economy is crumbling, they say it's at its day. The workers are all rumbling, revolution's on the way, but I could never be a Marxist, it goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You say, come up, support the new